I envy all of you. You cherish the moment. Take advantage of it. Because how quickly things change. I'm not sure what I would give today to be able to be in this service with my mother. And you notice it's always my mother that I make that statement about, though she did not raise me. I'd like to be with mama too, but there is nobody who can replace mother, the irreplaceable mom. That is our title this morning. And those pictures were from a special event that took place yesterday. And if you weren't part of it, but we've tweaked your interest, see Beth Shipton over here. And she's one of several who can tell you how to get in on it next year. You know. And uh, why wasn't Bryson with his mother and his sisters in all those pictures? Well, it was a girl's thing, really. That's what it is, and they enjoy it, and I highly recommend that you look into that. And a lot of other things that go on around here for ladies. Uh, Beth Moore is a constant guest here every Monday evening or Tuesday evening. As they do one series after another, and the ladies really seem to enjoy and benefit by it. So, if you're interested, just ask that lady right there. She can either direct you to the right place or give you the information you need. This morning we are looking in the book of 1 Samuel and it is, uh, Mother's Day is sort of like Christmas and Easter when you've been in the ministry for 35 years you feel like you've said everything you know on the subject and there's really nothing more you can say. But hopefully there is a little bit more and there is something that will add to what you already know as we consider probably one of the most unusual mothers in scripture because it looked like she would never be a mother. Her name was Hannah. And that's all she wanted to be, was a mom. But uh, it wasn't happening for her. And not only that, but she had the misfortune of, of being uh, joined to a man who had another wife. Now, if you think your situation and your relationship is complicated between you and your husband, add another living-in wife to the, to the uh, deal. See how that goes. But the scripture says here, that every year he went up to worship. Verse 3 of chapter 1, we read these words, And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So they went, this, was a, this was a holy pilgrimage made annually by this man and his family. And uh, verse 4 says, And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and daughters portions. Now he's having to give uh, something to his first wife, Penina, and her sons something. And then it says, But, verse 5, unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Now, it seems that he loved Hannah more than he did Penina. And what's going to happen seems to add evidence to that statement. Because we read here in verse number 6, And her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her wound. Now her adversary, Hannah's adversary, is that other wife, Penina. She picks at her. She does things, and I'm imagining all of this. She does things like bring her little sons into the, her company and say, Hannah, 
How do you like the way my little Willie's dressed here? Doesn't he look cute? Uh, you can have his clothes when he outgrows them. And maybe you'll get lucky one day and like get pregnant or something. And she nodded her and she jabbed at her and she made her fret. And that word fret is something that no man wants to know or see or experience in a house. Because it makes life hard. Verse 7. And as she did so year by year when she went up to her house, the house of the Lord, she provoked her. Therefore she wept on this particular trip and didn't eat. She lost her appetite and she's crying all the time. Fellas, you know the routine. Tissue all the time. Crying all the time. It's, it's worse than midlife. Because midlife, you can at least open the door or turn the air up or something. But, you know, she's just crying all the time. And I, I know, I know from 39 years of experience, Elkanah would say, Honey, what's wrong with you? You know what she'd say? Nothing. She just likes to cry, I guess. Well, then said Elkanah, verse 8, her husband to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou? I told you. Why are you crying? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? No, you're not. Because a woman is created for this purpose. And now there are some exceptions to that, but basically this is a, this is a yearning. And in that culture, she needed to have a boy baby to validate her worth. Boy babies were worth more than girl babies. Now, I didn't write this. I didn't have anything to do with it, but that's just the way it was. I think it was wrong, but that's the way it was. And so Hannah rose up, verse 9, after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And here's what she did. She is going to start off here as she is about to pray a very strategic prayer, and you and I must be careful what we pray. Because she is going to pray that God will, first of all, allow her to conceive. And secondly, that it will be a boy. Now, she has specific prayer. She's praying specifically. I prayed specifically that our first child would be a boy. And I got a boy. I prayed specifically that our second child would be a boy. And I got a girl. <laughs> and she almost went home in denim. But my wife who has no faith, had slipped into her bag a dress and taken it to the hospital without me knowing it. See, that's what messed up the prayer. See, no, no faith. <laughs> but anyway, I would have two more boys before it was over. But uh, she's asking God specifically for a boy. Now, she's going to have a boy, and you know that his name is going to be Samuel. And he is considered to be one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. I mean, just across the board, he is one of the greatest. He will get more done for God than a host of other people could do. He will come along at a certain time, very strategic time, when, he, when Israel desperately needs the kind of guidance and the kind of leadership that only he can provide. And that's my theory on why she couldn't have a baby until a certain time. God was holding back to the right time, till everything came together. You see, God's working with a lot of stuff at one time, and sometimes we don't get what we ask for. But he, he did close her womb, and she couldn't conceive. And then when it was time, the time was right, he opened her womb, and everything came together, and Samuel was born for such a time as that. Very strategic. 
Have you ever stopped to think about the destiny of these little people that were lined up here just a few moments ago? What will God do with their lives? I want you to understand, pastor has no problem envisioning something great for them. If they are willing to submit themselves to the Lord. You know, as parents, we control them while they're small so they don't get out in the street and get hurt, so they don't eat poison, so they don't do a lot of other goofy things because they don't know. We control them for a certain time. And then after that, they reach a level. They say the human brain matures or it finishes development at 18. It doesn't mature ever. We're always learning new things. But at 18, it's finished growing. And it, uh, there's some place right in there where we're no longer controlling. We become counselors. We offer help if they ask for it because we really can't make them do anything they don't want to do. But if they will apply themselves and listen to mom and dad, because mom and dad doesn't want to hurt you. Mom and dad doesn't want to keep you from having a good time. They want to keep you from adding more scars to your life so you won't be as scarred up as some of us are because we wish we could play it back without all the nonsense. We'd change it a lot if we could. And so if you'll just apply yourself, these little babies that were up here and how quickly they're no longer little babies, they're grown. Because we had two little babies up here with babies <laughs> today and they're grown, they're married. Who's to say what the destiny will be for these little children? That the sky is the limit if we just offer them to God. Well, he is listed in the book of Hebrews as one of the giants of the faith. He is one of the greatest men in the Old Testament. Now, it's Mother's Day. You're a mother. You got to be a mother and you were given that title because you gave birth. You have a child. Child may be small, in between or older. But that's what constitutes a mother. Now a mother, first of all, a woman wants to be a mother, like Hannah in our study today. But secondly, she wants her offspring to turn out to be good. I don't know of any rational woman who would want her kid to be a, a law-breaking, crazy sort of a person. I, I can't imagine any woman wanting that. You want your child to be a difference maker. You want, want to be proud of your boy. You want to be proud of your girl. How does that happen? Well, we'll give you the recipe. You ready? Write this down somewhere, either on the page in your Bible or your bulletin or, or somebody's hand sitting close to you. But first of all, you start with a determined mother. You have to start with a determined mother. A mother who is just determined by the grace of God. I, I, I want a child and I want my child to make a difference. Hannah was determined that her child would make a difference. Look at verse number 11 here. And she vowed a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaiden, for a woman to be without a baby in that culture, it was an affliction, just as it was with Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. She was old and still didn't have a baby. It was an affliction. And God lifted her affliction and gave her John the Baptist, a difference-making, legendary preacher out in the wilderness. And she says, if you will look upon mine affliction, the affliction of your handmaid, and remember me, and not forget your handmaiden, but will give unto thy handmaiden a man-child. I don't just want a baby, I want a boy baby. Then, you ought to underline this, I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. What does that mean? It means it's the equivalent of a vow that is being made like Samson with his long hair 
It was indicative of a, of, a, of a vow that he totally and completely belonged to the Lord God. And Hannah says, Father, if you'll give me a baby, a boy baby, I'll give him back to you. And so she was given a boy baby. And the word Samuel means ask of God. She named him with a name that would remind her every day and every time she called his name that there was a deal on the table. You give him to me, I'll give him back to you. She was reminded every single time she called his name. Now some people, it takes them so long to have their first child, they're already old. And so they name their kid Isaac, which means laughter. We pulled it off. That's great. But the name is important. Be careful of what names you select. For Hannah, I ask him of the Lord, and I'll give him back to the Lord. There was a deal and a promise on the table, a reminder of a vow. Let me just pause here, and I don't want you to you interact with me, but I want you to think about this question. I wonder how many of you, when you were wanting to get pregnant and wanting to have a child, you made some deal with God. After the baby was born, you stood in the delivery room with, with wet teary eyes, how can you not cry in the delivery room when you see the handiwork of God? I have bawled like a baby four times in that experience. And Joseph, five pounds, six ounces, he's tiny, tiny. And his hair was parted and he looked so good, you know. I said, at last, here, you know. Had I known about Joseph then what I know now, I would have cried. I really would have cried with all the complications that he's had. But did you make a promise to the Lord? Your baby was born? How are you getting along with that promise? Have you sort of gotten away from it? You know what baby dedication is? It's dedicating people to do the right thing so the child can see the right thing and when it's time for the child to do something, he'll do the right thing because the right thing's all he knows. See? And part of that's church. And being faithful to things that are going to make a difference in one's life as, as opposed to goofy things that don't make any difference. They're all right. But spiritually, that's what you've got to aim at. And so this woman made a promise and she asked the Lord and we see this determined mother. You've got to have a determined mother. There is a man that is talked about by Dr. James Dobson. If you're familiar with James Dobson and focus on the family, he's one of the leading spokesmen for the family in America and the world. He talks about this, this German child psychologist, Dr. Yuri Bonfrenbrunner. And he says, and Dr. Dobson believes in this guy, that this guy's is good. I mean, his, his, his practice is a solid Christian practice. He says that Dr. Bonfernbrunner made the statement that the only thing necessary in the normal healthy development of any child is for that child to know that at least one adult is crazy about him. I had mama and she'd fight you if you mess with me. She hit you with her pocketbook. If you've ever seen Aunt Astor on Sanford and Son, that's Aunt Phoebe, my grandmother. She hurt you with that weapon. And then when it was over, she'd take me in the house and beat me within an inch of my life for causing it in the first place. But I always knew that she loved me. And at times I'd think, you know, she's really old. If anything happens to her, where do I go then? I didn't have anywhere to go. 
So God kept her healthy until after, well after I was in the ministry. And on March the 5th, 1985, one Sunday afternoon, she bowed her head in that little home they lived in with about eight old women. She bowed her head to say the blessing over her food and her head just kept going right into her plate and she died there. And I was preaching at Northside at that time. It was a big loss to me. I mean, you don't just replace somebody like Mama like that because she prayed for me. And she prayed prayers like they weren't all that correct either, but she'd say, God, bless my boy or beat him if he needs it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A determined mother. Are you, you moms today? We honor you. We didn't, we didn't invite you here today to make you feel bad or to embarrass you, but are you committed to your family? Are you really committed? Because if your husband's not carrying the spiritual weight, you're going to have to carry it, and you can carry it because I believe Dr. Bonfenbrunner is correct. It only takes one that's crazy about the kid, and the kid will make it if he's got one, just one. It's better to have two, but he can make it on one. So that's the first part of the recipe here. Secondly, you need to add a mentor. And strangely enough, the mentor here in verse number 25 is going to be Eli because the this, this, this scriptures tell us that she brought the baby back after the baby was weaned. Now, the weaning of this child in the Jewish culture, the Hebrew culture, could have been as late as two, two and a half years of age that this child would be nursed. Boy, that's shy. That's scary, isn't it, you ladies? <laughs> but, but he was a little toddler, and she brought him, the Scripture says, uh, back to uh, Eli, the, the priest who was in charge. Verse 24, let's read that. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, and three bullocks, and one ephah of flour, and a bottle of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, and the child was young. But he was a child, he wasn't a baby anymore. Verse 25, and she slew a bullock, that is, there was a sacrifice, and she brought the child to Eli. Now, Eli is the same character I used in a, in a Father's Day message a few years ago as the worst daddy in the Bible. He totally failed with his boys, Hophni and Phinehas. They were scoundrels. They were awful. I mean, they were thieves and rogues and, and womanizers. But for some reason, Eli was a good mentor for Samuel. Now imagine you leave your little child with this man and you go back home. And every year you get to see him. And she would make little things for him to wear and she would take them up on their annual visit and she stayed in touch. But add a mentor. Every child needs, and especially the boys, need a mentor. Ideally, that's dad. But if dad's not around, he still needs a mentor. And he may need a mentor when he's in his teens. He may need a mentor when he's married and has a family of his own, but he needs somebody he can look to to see what the thing is like, the blueprint of a successful life and a successful family. Doesn't it bother you like it really bothers me that half the Christian marriages that take place in America end within seven years, just like the unbelievers, the fact that they believe seems to have nothing to do with it and no impact on it. I think it's because we're listening too much to the world and not enough to the Word. I think that's the problem. We need to get back to the Word. Because I know this. If I could paraphrase that verse, what does it accomplish a man if he gains the whole world and loses his family? Nothing. He's a loser. He's lost. Now, I had someone 
in the person of my step-grandfather. He was my grandmother's second husband. He didn't talk much. He just worked all the time. He was a genius. He had about a fourth grade education, just like Mama. But he ran away from home when he was nine, and he was on his own. He was an illegitimate born person. And the adults around him never let him forget it. Oh, I know that feeling. But as a silent kind of a person, he wouldn't know the meaning of the word mentor. But I watched him. He taught me my work ethic. He taught me how to don't get in debt. He knew math formulas with a pencil that I don't think were in books. This man was so smart. He was an alcoholic when he was a home builder. And he went into a church service one night, walked the aisle, got saved, never went to any kind of rehab or anything. He just never drank again. He was cured just like that. Everybody needs a mentor. Ideally, I repeat, that could be dead. But they need something. That's the second ingredient in the mix here for a good kid. So mom can feel good about her ministry. And then that brings us to number three here. If stirred regularly, you get a ministry. That's what you'll get. But you've got to stir it. It has to be, continually be stirred. The scripture says, if you'll turn over to chapter number 7 and verse number 15, that Samuel lived in a very dark day. But the scripture declares in verse 15, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Now, what does that say? It says he didn't quit. It says he didn't go back. It says his mother didn't get lonely for her little baby and go to Shiloh and regather him and take him back home and lie to God and lie to the priest and lie to everybody. She stayed good on her commitment. Now, this business of, well, he's mine. He is not yours. These babies you saw up here today, they, are, they do not belong to these adults. They belong to God. They're a heritage of the who? Lord, now I know you read that scripture and you just think, well, that's God giving the family a heritage. No, they're still His heritage. They're His. They belong to Him. The only thing we do is just provide the custodial care for these kids while they're growing up. We provide for their needs. We, we hopefully emotionally and spiritually and, and, and every other way. But ultimately, who do they go back to? They go back to the Lord. That's a, something I don't like to talk about very much because He can recall whenever He wants to. And He owes no explanation. But they're His. And we're just blessed for a few years to be able to be part of their life. And it is a blessing. Uh, when the uh, family comes over to visit, they bring that little loudspeaker with them. And there's noise in the house again. Sometimes it can be so quiet it's not fun. We need noise in the house. As Benson said, laughter in the walls. That the walls can talk of memories and things. That's what life is all about. You can't buy that. You can't place a price on it. But Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Whatever they gave this boy, it was enough to propel him through. And his ministry was consistent. And boy, he lived in a dark day. First of all, 
when the will of God was to be sought, he was the man who prayed. You find him in the pages of 1 Samuel on his face before God. He is a praying prophet, asking God for de the deliverance, asking God for direction, asking God for uh, dependency on him and all of the things that he needed. He was the praying man because of his upbringing. When the will of God was to be sought, he was the one who prayed. When the wars of God were to be fought, he was out front. He did not equivocate. He did not back off. You may think it's strange that a preaching prophet of God would be on the front lines, but he was one who knew how to wield the sword as well as the word. He was not a wimpy kind of a guy. In fact, on a couple of occasions, he got his own hands bloody. My, what a man. This is the little boy that she gave birth to. And she stayed good on her promise. And Eli was a good mentor. And now there is a ministry here. And last of all, when the Word of God was to be taught, he was the teacher. Constantly teaching them, sharing with them, thus saith the Lord. Throughout the book that bears his name, he was there and he was constantly breaking the bread of life with these people. Have you ever just sort of taken a step back and just stared at your children? I know it can be a humbling experience. When they're putting food up their nose and stuff like that, it's, you kind of wonder, you know, maybe there was a mix-up at the hospital. You know, there is quite often. Do you know the statistics for the mix-ups at the hospital for the numbers of people right now who have the wrong child in places like, well, like this church? I can't bear to give it to you. Because some of you have been looking for that alibi, but I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> The experience that I've had in the last year, I, maybe I'm your kid, who knows? We, it was just sort of a strange thing. That's shocking, isn't it? Well, when you think about it, when you think about your child and you just step back and look at them, do you ever just envision great things? Not for your glory, not for your pride, for you to stick out your chest and say, that's my boy, that's my girl, but I mean just for the kingdom of God. I want great things for my child for the kingdom's sake. I don't care if they're a missionary in some secluded part of the world and I only see them maybe once every three or four years. I want this for God's glory, not for mine. We'll have eternity to celebrate over it. You ever feel that way? I, I just, oh, this kid's destined for greatness. And let me tell you something else. Let me tell you the kids who are going to make it. They're not those who wander around this campus with little designer labels stuck to their shirts and their shorts and everything they're not going to make it they're winnies to start with they're going to be kids that you go outside like my adventure down on the west wing one day when the old nursery was on the west end down here and I open the door and I see a kid on top of a van walking around that kid's going to make it I had a tear in my eye I was just so, I thought, oh, praise God. Any kid that can make you climb the wall, you just back off and go easy. He could be your pastor someday. He or she could be anything. But you, mom and dad, you're paying, many of you are paying the wrong price. You're paying a price that God doesn't ask you to pay. And you're reneging on the price that he commands you to pay. It's not stuff. It's not sports. It's not glory. It's not being glued to their side 24 hours of the day. It's getting on your face before God and saying, God, like Hannah, 
Could you do something similar with my child, my daughter, my son? Could you do something similar that you did for that old, that, that old story that the pastor read of that woman who was so brokenhearted because she didn't have a child? And make something out of my child for your glory, not mine. This secondary glory kind of a thing is most damaging to children. A lot of what we impose on our kids, we do it because we want to do it, not because we think they want to do it. Ask them what they want to do. Let them, let them decide and draw up your vacation this year. So it isn't what you thought. It looks a little bit more like the Griswolds heading up the road or something. It'll be interesting. But mom, dad, the, the, the key is that she totally honored the Lord with her promise and she never reneged on it. And God made this man one of the greatest men in history. I have a closing passage I want you to see. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, you already know, if you're familiar with your Bible, that that's considered to be the hall of faith because we read of such great exploits of people like Moses and Joseph and Jacob and just a lot of other people and their women like Rahab and others. And this is just, if you... you you, you have to understand now, the old King James is, is closer to the original signatures than anything. I'm not up here making a case for it, but sometimes you just have to read it. And because of the usage of the English and the translation, you have to read it again and look at it and figure out what they're saying here. But in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, in verse number 32, the writer says, And what shall I more say? What shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David and Samuel. Samuel. That's, that's the key word there, Samuel. And the key phrase is, time would fail me. I don't have enough time to tell you what all he did. <laughs> There's not enough time. Now I'm sure Hannah could say, let me tell you about my son. Yeah, we're always bragging. We should. But what, what, what are the odds of this little woman agitated by this other wife who shows off her kids and picks at her and says, uh, you know, you think you'll ever have a baby? And she's praying her heart out and crying. What are the odds against this little woman so totally committed to having a baby, she makes this promise with God. And God comes through. The baby's born. And she has the character to be good on her vow. And she releases. At some point, she had to do this. She had to turn him a little. And give him to Eli. And then go home. It's like an adoption, but you can see him once a year. And then we read something like this in the Hebrews. In the New Testament, they said, I don't have enough time to tell you what all this guy did. If you are willing to put the recipe together, and if you can afford the contents that go in the recipe, you can have the product. And it's never too late to start. But today, we're here to honor the moms. And we sort of thought as a staff there would be a particular way we could do that. And uh, something that would just allow everybody to express how they feel about it.
So listen very carefully. The invitation this morning is going to be different. It's going to be an invitation for people in this room, beginning with children whose mother is here, to say something to their mom that is meaningful, that would in no way pay her back for all the sacrifice that she's made. My mother paid for it later in life. If you only hear half the story, you think she was the worst woman in the world. She was a good person in the latter part of her life. She served the Lord. And it's how we finish the race, really, not how we start, that matters. But there were other things that hurt. She never got out from under the sense of guilt. She dealt with it till her dying day. But this is an opportunity today here to just say to mom, I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you for the things and the ways you've sacrificed for me. I love you. I don't always say so. And I love you even though I don't always act like I do. But I love you. This is your day. And I'm proud to say that you're my mom or grandmother. Or if there's somebody in this room who's been like a mother to you. My other mother went to heaven a few months back. Her name was Bessie. She tried to control my life. And she did, pretty much. She would tell me what my thoughts were. When I came here the first day, there was, it was instant. She said, you're supposed to be here. I can't argue with that. But there may be somebody in this room that's been like a mom to you. And you'd like to just express to them.